Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bonas. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. So if you have been uh, journeying with us through Lent, um, you know that we have been lingering on the last two chapters of, of Mark, um, very slowly and somewhat painfully. Um, and so what we're doing today is simply um, we're going to notice and reflect and just get excited together about Mark's ending, um, which you've maybe never noticed before. Um, but it ends very interestingly, and it ends unlike any of the other Gospels. And it's extra interesting when you realize that Mark's Gospel is the oldest um, and the first written. So uh, allow me to read for you, uh, Mark 16, 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb. They were saying to each other, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. And it was a very heavy, I lost my spot. Oh, it was a very large stone. Going into the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side, and they were startled. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's it. That's how Mark ends the gospel. No one sees the resurrected Jesus. The women are terrified, and it says they walked away committing to tell no one. It's the most astounding ending. If you flip to your Bible to Mark 16, you'll notice a little like asterisk that said like the earliest manuscripts all end here, but like 50 years later, they added more. You can imagine they felt the need to add more to that. <laughs> it was like the next generation of Christians was like, Mark. Um. <laughs> but it just ends. It just ends right there. And it's so wild because all throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus tells people not to tell anyone about him. If you've ever read Mark all in one sitting, we did it for a second time last night, a few of us, and we noticed how many times Jesus says, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. Um, and yet, every time he says that, the people go and blab their mouth everywhere and tell everyone. And it literally, by the end of chapter two of Mark's gospel, the crowds are so aggressive in their need for Jesus's touch and healing words that he has to stay in the countryside and travel by night. If you've ever read Mark's gospel in one sitting, the, the, the sensation of the crowds, the crowds, it's loud. And Jesus and the disciples are constantly kind of retreating, but the crowds follow them. There's this urgency and this commotion in Mark's gospel. It's nonstop. It's the most fast-moving uh, gospel story, noise and commotion. And then suddenly, in the early morning light of the first day of the week, the story comes to this screeching halt. Silence, save for the delicate footsteps of the women shuffling home in silence. It's a suspended pause. It's a sharp inhale. 
Can you imagine what it must have felt like for them on that Sunday morning? Because I cannot. We get such a simple and intimate glimpse into the life of a few women who had prepared spices to go to the garden and anoint their dead. They likely didn't sleep much the night before, and before anyone else is awake, they're there in the kitchen making their preparations, heading out early to do the delicate work of tending to the detailed space between death and being laid to rest. They're anxious about the stone and how they move it. What a womanly scene. I just love this. Everyone's sleeping and they're getting their spices and they're walking and the sun is just coming up and they're like, what do we do about the stone? They have these fears that it, it's not going to work, like this walk isn't going to work, like if there's no one to move the stone, it might not work. They have those fears in one hand, but then they have this sacred bundle of spices in the other, and they walk forward. They arrive, and look, the stone has already been rolled away. How strange. Has someone already been here? Please, no more horror. No more fear. No more surprises. What's going on? The one woman puts her head into the tomb, and there's a young man <laughs> dressed in white, just sitting there. The text says, they were alarmed. Uh, yeah. Um, I will tell you this. I was recently on a walk with my favorite anti-capitalist awakener, and they suggested we take a detour towards a house that was being actively demolished. I got their permission to tell this story because it involves a little bit of illegal activity, but it's okay. This house was being actively demolished in Bonesse. It was already half, half destroyed, but it looked like it was happening quickly, maybe like a foreclosure or something because all the stuff was still in it. Um, and they said that when they had walked by on the way to my house, they had noticed this beautiful birdhouse that was about to be trashed and tossed uh, into the big dumpster bin there. And they wanted to go by and save the birdhouse from the dump. And I was very excited about this because I am just a boring mom now. And I haven't been dumpster diving in a several years. And it's definitely been a minute since I was ungovernable. So this semi-illegal but objectively good deed uh, felt like the rush of a lifetime for me. I felt like a pirate in the low tide of a bonus back alley. But a good pirate like Kiera Knightley. It was like 10 p.m. and it was dark and it was cold and we found the house and we went into the yard and it was like, whoa, this house is about to be destroyed. Like there's so much history. There's so many stories here. Wow. Um, and uh, we, we found the birdhouse, but then we looked and there's this like shed and it's kind of open, but it's dark. And so I worked up the courage to put my head inside. And was I terrified? Yes. I thought someone or some people might be squatting in there and I would scare them and then they would scare me or there could be like bats or foxes or demons or something. And um, I was really afraid, but I mustered up all my courage and I said, hello. And I put my head in with my cell phone light and it was completely empty except for um, some very old dusty mason jars and some Budweiser posters with women in swimsuits on rollerblades. But I will tell you right now, if there was a man sitting there in white, I would have lost my ever-loving mind in terror, and I probably would have just laid down and waited for death's embrace. And we are talking about an old shed in one of the safest cities in the world, and it would have terrified me. So I'm picturing these women in the early morning in a graveyard with intentions to tend to the battered body of a dead beloved, and their hello is followed by a response from a young man wearing all white. Don't be alarmed, says the man. Way too late. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and he was crucified. 
but he has been raised. He isn't here anymore. See, look where they laid him. He's not here anymore. The last few years, that's been one of my favorite lines of my faith. He's not here. I think of my many friends who are questioning their faith, who are kind of deconstructing from old beliefs and wrestling with all of these kind of past experiences in the church world. And I have felt an immense privilege to watch them realize the good news of that phrase. He isn't here. I think of the many friends I've walked with um, uh, heart to heart, and we kind of travel through their timeline and look back at the old places where we thought Jesus was to see if he is really there. And look, he's not there. That wasn't Jesus. He's not in the White House or on Twitter. It wasn't him passing those bills or building those walls or promising fascists that the God of angel armies is always on their side. He isn't there. It wasn't him. Look, see where they laid him. See where they thought they had placed him to stay forever like a notch in the belt of spiritual power. He's not there. So where is he? That's the next question, right? They don't speak after this scene, apparently, but the question is like, okay, sir, so where, where is he? He's out there, he says. He's gone ahead. He's in the garden of the future. He's binding the strong man. He's getting ready to plunder the house. He's melting weapons down this very moment. He has the big mask on and there's sparks flying and he's melting down steel and shaping them into gardening tools. He's washing shame from the face of every child. He's wiping the tears from the eyes of all parents who've prayed through clenched teeth for their babies. And he's digging wells and he's planting the bulbs of purple irises. He's breaking prisoners out of jail. He's expunging records. He's at the bank. He found their records of your debt, and he's setting them to flame right now. He's got a jar full of every tear you've ever shed, and he's gone forward seven generations, and he's planted those tears on the pillows of your anxious great, 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 great grandson to whisper in his dreams that he's the dream of his ancestors. He's setting the table of tomorrow with this harvest he's gathered from gardens that haven't been planted yet. He's singing, he's marching, he's dancing barefoot, he's, he's preparing little bowls of milk and grain and sweet wine. He knows the kingdom of heaven is a furred creature that lives inside of your chest. And every morning, he's putting out these small offerings. He's going to lure you outside of yourself. He's going to woo you out. He's, he's clearing away the debris and making it safe so you too could come out into the streets and dance with your friends. He's putting new wine in new wineskins. He's singing, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for yesterday we were dead. He's gone back to visit your grandmother's mother and your mother's 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 father's father's parents' parents all the way back to when we were sitting around the fire and looking at the stars and wondering about the future, and he's telling them about us. And they're all cheering, and they're dancing, and he's gone back to tell them, we made it. And he's gone forward a hundred years, and he's telling them, we're on our way. That we're doing the work, that we're noticing our wounds, and the hope that comes from there. That we're talking about what hurts, and exploring the very convincing evidence that the parts of us that are hurting are the same parts that call forth change. We're at the library of life together 
like Hermione and her boys. And we're figuring this out. Hope is an action. Faith is an action. Humility is an act of resistance. And asking for help is the breakthrough we've been waiting for. Eureka! Where is he, young man, dressed all in white? Where is he? He was dead before. We know all about this. We know about death and dying. We know if there's one thing the Romans are good at, it's making the dead stay dead. So where is he, young man, dressed in white? And I love this so much. He says, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. He'll meet you there, just as he told you. Go tell the others, especially tell Peter. Go tell Peter, who is right now three days deep in a shame bender, making oaths against roosters and fire and falling asleep and taking oaths. He is right now trying to find the taste of bread and wine in between his wretched teeth, convincing himself the body of Christ and the blood of a new covenant still counts for something. He is right now looking at the dirt and regret between his toes, remembering the hands of Jesus, tenderly washing that away just a few days before. He is right now staring at the future, wishing that he could will the time-space continuum to bend backwards to last week. Oh, just to go back to last week and take it all back, to do something different, to say something different. Oh, what he wouldn't do to just go back. Go find Peter, says the man dressed in white. Tell him that Jesus is in Galilee. Tell him that the young man in white was waiting here just to meet you, Mary and Salome and young Mary. You tell Peter that Jesus knew he'd be afraid and ashamed and exhausted and dumb with terror. Jesus knew all that. Tell him he doesn't need to go back into the past to fix it. Tell him Jesus has gone ahead into the future and he's fixing it from there. Meet him there. Bring your gloves. He's planting a garden for a thousand years from now, and the look on your face is one of the seeds he has in his pouch. Go quick. And the very last verse of Mark's gospel is possibly my favorite verse in the gospel. So they went, overcome with terror and dread. They fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I love this so much because on one hand you're like, wait, what? They, they just went home and what? Told everybody the body was anointed, the deed was done, go back to bed, start making breakfast, go back to like weaving a tapestry or whatever the women would have been working on before this. Like that's it, it's just they said nothing to anyone, like this is too much. What a peculiar ending to the story. It's just, that's it, they told no one. But on the other hand, there's something to this verse, to this ending because I see Mark, you know, like you look in the text and you see the women, but then you kind of zoom out a bit and you see Mark with his papyrus and his quill. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Wink. Do you feel Mark winking at you? You see, Mark doesn't spell it out for you. He gives you nothing but this wink. He knows you'll trip over this verse and you'll want more. What? So no one even saw that? You'll be desperate for more. He knows this. Mark wrote the very first gospel. He knows you want more. He knows there's more he could say, but he just ends it. He just ends it as if he's interrupted by something. They said nothing, for they were afraid. As if to give you two options. So you too can walk away if you want. You too could go back to bed, go start making breakfast, go back to the tapestry. But he knows, that just like those fretful women 2,000 plus years ago, You'll be kneading that bread one morning, 
and you'll start to unravel wondering, if they said nothing to no one, then how did Mark hear about it? How did I hear about Mark? How, how do I even know this story of a Nazarene Jew in the first century in Palestine? You'll be knitting that sock or shingling that roof and you'll stare up and realize they didn't just go home and say nothing to no one. That's not a secret you can keep for long. You'd start slowly to realize the implications and you'd wonder who that young man was and where the body of Jesus was. You might go stop at Joseph of Arimathea's house and ask him questions about the whole body retrieval and put in the tomb situation. You'd have this secret in your heart and your chest would eventually start to expand with possibility. If Jesus rose from the grave, you'd think, the future belongs to us. There's nothing but possibility now. If his body isn't there, then tomorrow is an open system. What if is the only mantra now. All things could be possible. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have no reason not to forgive you anymore. I have no reason to hold it all in anymore. I have no reason to just smile and nod and numb myself with a small screen and like white Cheeto powder on my sweatpants while I read articles about which celebrity has le less cellulite. I don't need that numbing life anymore. I have no reason to be afraid or to be angry. I have no reason anymore to feel the weight of bad news bending the narrative arc towards decay and despair. It's not a slow march towards the grave anymore, is it? The winter isn't coming. I'm not going to make a fool of myself if I speak up. And wait a minute, wait a minute. There's no reason not to look a fool. There's no boat to rock. There's no reason to sit silent. There's no reason to stay home. There's no reason to hide. I like to think of those women. Maybe it took a few hours or a few days, but I like to think of those women, of, of one of them just finally getting her jacket. You know, I'm going to go to the other woman's house. We have to do something. And as she opens the door, the other two are there with their coats on. We need to talk. Let's talk on the way. And they, they walk. I don't know where. On the way to where? On the way to the bank on the way to the jailhouse, on the way to the hospital, on the way to the protest, to the sacred headwaters, to the old growth forest, to the common cover, to the awakened garden, to the weeping tree, to my enemy's house. Let's talk on the way, she says. Let's go back to the graveyard with these spices and see what else has died that needs to be anointed. Let's go back to the graveyard with hope for a future that's coming our way. And part of me wishes I could go back and walk with those women like, oh, I wish I could just go back and live in that time when everybody was sure of everything. I want to go back with those women. I want to sing with them. I want to chant with them. I want to raise my fists and lift my skirts and run and laugh and radiate a light I had not imagined could radiate from me or from you. I'd tell them all of my secrets, and they'd laugh and say over and over, there's nothing to forgive, child. There's nothing to forgive. He's risen. He's not here. He's in Galilee. He's gone ahead of us. He's already there. All those things that have been haunting you, following you, chasing you, they've been leading you here. But, but the spiritual part of me knows that there is no going back. And if I could go back, I wouldn't find those women there, would I? They're not, I wouldn't find those women there. I might find a young man in white clothes, but he'd tell me what he told them. They're not here, Nikayla. They're not here, Awaken. They've gone ahead. They too are in the garden of the future. Those women aren't back in 67 AD. They've gone ahead. They're dancing with your niece's grandbaby. She has your name, by the way. 
They're planting a garden right now. They're teaching Cree and Blackfoot. They're painting rainbows on the sidewalk. They're giving out hugs and clean water. They're moving the birdhouses into the open for Dino of Boness to notice on their way by. They're making cupcakes for refugees and welcoming them home. They're visiting the sick and the incarcerated and telling them one day there won't be any prisons or any courthouses or any hospitals. One day cancer will be an ancient memory from the before times, but they're shaving their heads for kids with cancer who don't know how to trust in that right now. They're knitting socks. They've gone ahead. Your ancestors are there with them. We call them the great cloud of witnesses. They're at the table. It's all good food and fine wine, and there's already a spot with your name on it, and it's huge. You're allowed to take up so much space at that table. The ladies in uh, rollerblades and swimsuits are there, and Jesus is like a grandmother, like, eat up, child. Enjoy the food. It's okay. You're worthy. They're looking at us from beyond there, and they're saying, here, I'll make you a deal. Wherever you see death and despair and depression, Go get some spices and lean into the wounded place and you anoint the dead places with spices and you plant seeds in that warm, wet soil. Your seeds can be your tears, your hopes, your longings, your stories, your confessions. Just go there. Wake up early and plant and anoint. And when we finally all meet again around that big table, the world will be changed according to the seeds we're planting right now, today. And they're saying, so let this good news fill your purse and your mouth and your heart and see how rich you are. See how rich we all are. And I love that Mark just ends it there. It's like, it's as if Mark trusts you. He trusts you. I would be not this way. If I was writing the gospel, my anxiety, as you can tell by the way I preach, I would be really worried that you wouldn't get the point. So I would just keep saying it over and over and I'd find a different metaphor and a different, and I'd be like, are you following? Like, you cannot miss this. But Mark seems to not be worried about that. He, he, he knows you won't miss it. He, he knows. He trusts you, the reader, and he trusts the story to unravel you, the reader. He knows you'll hear the music. He knows that one of these mornings, your fearful self will notice the little bowl of grain and milk the master laid out the night before. He knows. Mark knows the future. He knows this isn't the end of the story, but he knows how the story ends. And he knows you're a part of it. And I'm a part of it. And those folks out there are all a part of it. He ends it to go meet Jesus in the future and begin his journey back towards us. And I realize this, and I'm a little convicted. I'm like, wow, imagine being pastored by Mark. Like, what a leader. Imagine having a pastor that just trusted you completely and trusted the story completely. Imagine a pastor that just knew that, yes, you will spend a lot of time being afraid and confused and bored and cynical and busy and unimpressed. And yet he knew that the story would eventually catch up the other story you tell yourself and it wouldn't just catch up it would catch up like a dog at the off-leash park it's way back there and you're like are you coming and then all of a sudden bounding over the hills here comes the story but it doesn't stop at you it runs past you turns back cocks its head like are you coming the story will catch up to you all the way they'll call you from up ahead are you coming and so on this sunday um i was kind of wrestling with anna this week i was like i know the church calendar and like i know awakens really liturgical but we do communion on Easter Sunday because it feels so somber and it's such a triumphant service. And Anna was like, for shame, of course we do communion on Easter Sunday. It's the most powerful, beautiful communion. 
And um, we were reflecting that, and I realized that this Sunday is so unique and, and sets all the other Sundays apart because we come to this communion table today, um, and it's like a reunion with the future. It's truly a Eucharist table, Thanksgiving, gratitude. And I look, look, you guys, I didn't make those crackers. I didn't plant the grain that turned into those crackers. I didn't grow those grapes that are in that juice. I didn't do any of that. Someone in the past did that. And here we are. So we partake of this small sample of the greater feast. We gather with our friends here in this moment, in, in this moment, uh, not the past, not the future. We gather with friends in this moment. And we say, here, this is for you. And every exchange at this table is a death blow dealt to death and war and despair and loneliness. Every exchange at this table, we say here, this is the body of the living God. This is the body of the God of the future. See how this God lays out this feast to pull you out, to wink at you, trusting that this story and this act of receiving and turning to give, this story will catch up to us. It will run ahead of us and it will call us forward. And so I'm going to pray. Um, so join me in prayer, please. Uh, we pray together in this moment, in this particular place in Bonas. And we pray, oh God, we pray towards you in the future. We pray that you would help us to remember not just where we've come from, but where we are headed. We pray that you would meet us here, wounds still fresh, memories still very much alive of yesterday and Friday. But we see you calling us forth in this bright new moment of possibility, of what if, of perhaps. I pray that you would captivate us that you would steal our breath away again and open us to the possibility of forgiving each other, of starting again, of turning our weapons into gardening tools and cultivating life right here in this place with the little bit that we have. We trust what you can do with one seed in good soil. And we trust that you, the gardener of the world, that you have an abundant, infinite supply of seeds. And so we do not need to be uh, frugal in our sharing of this good news. Help us to hear you whisper and shout, there's enough, there's enough, there's enough. Help us hear you say, there's room, there's room, there's many rooms in my father's house. Help us to feel like we could take up space today and that we could take up space in the future that we all share. So in the name of our crucified Messiah, and our risen living God, we say amen.